Hello. Well, this is uh, the talk is about keeping on trusting. And uh, I think this slide is really good because it does somewhat reflect where we are today. A lot of darkness, some lights pushing on, trying to keep on trusting in God. Okay, well, what we're going to talk about first of all are two incidents in the New Testament. One is to do with the centurion whose servant was healed, and one is to do with the Canaanite woman. We're both reading them from Matthew, so I'll read it through. When Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. <clears throat> Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself and a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following, truly I tell you, I've not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac and Japheth in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown aside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go, let it be done just as you believed it would. Okay. The story about the centurion, there's certain things we obviously bear in mind. He was part of the hated occupying um, rulers. He was probably a captain in our terms. And the soldiers were probably from Lebanon or Syria. But the big thing was <coughs> they were all non-Jewish. And Matthew's account is a pretty stark one. In Luke, we learn a bit more because um, the elders of the Jews said to Jesus, this man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. But the fact was, <coughs> it was a remarkable occasion and the centurion's faith was just amazing. He had obviously the mindset of a soldier, a captain, and he said to Jesus, you do what I do and it'll happen. My servant will be healed. And it did. It was absolutely amazing. And we'll dwell later on the fact that he was such an outsider, but he did have faith. And that really produced the healing through Jesus. Quite a remarkable account. Okay, if we look at the Canaanite woman, slide two. This is a, a curiously parallel occasion. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from the vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. 
My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away. She keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bed and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. When Jesus, <coughs> we'll get rid of that slide now. Thank you. When it says Jesus withdrew to that region of Tyre and Sidon, it, it was probably a sort of retreat for them, a sort of quiet time. And um, this woman came, and it's very interesting, the conversation, because um, he said, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. And dogs was a, a current Jewish term of abuse for the Gentiles. So that's what he was saying to her. And she turned it round into dogs as we know them and said, even dogs have crumbs. And it's an amazing scene when you think of it. We don't know exactly how she understood Jesus. She addressed him as son of David and Lord. Did she understand fully he was the Messiah? We don't know. But you have this woman arguing the toss with the Messiah and prevailing. It's astonishing, her faith. She's arguing with him and she prevails. And Jesus said, right, be it as you wished. And her daughter was healed at that moment. Two quite um, remarkable stories. And it does raise the question, are those Bible stories you learn in Sunday school or are they today's stories? So I'll read you something. This is what happened to a lady called Mrs. A. That's not her real name. This is what she typed up afterwards. I visited the Far East nine times over the years and I developed a cough, which became more obvious each time I went. The cough bothered others more than it did me and it did not stop me sleeping. Some years ago, 2006, under pressure from a friend, she went to see a doctor and I was sent for an X-ray. Then she went on holiday. When she came back, there were five messages from my doctor Contact me as soon as possible. So she went to see him and he said, there appears to be a growth on your lung. And then she went for a scan at the RDNE. And all this time, God was telling her, it's going to be okay. The consultant said, there is a lump the size of a walnut at the bottom of your right lung. 
with strong implication, you have got cancer. Because the lump is low down, it would be a major operation to do a biopsy. And in the end, she went to London to get a further opinion. And her friend, a nurse, said, look, this is really serious. In London, she had a PET scan. The conclusion was the lump is either growing or stationary, but it does not seem to be active. Wait three months for a further scan. On the 11th of June at the prayer group, we were praying for a country in the Far East. Dennis said, let's pray for you. They all knew about the lump. The word disperse came to him. So he put his hand on my head and asked in the name of Jesus that the lump would disperse, would disperse. Immediately I saw what seemed to be shooting stars and the lump vanishing. The next day I rang Dennis to tell him what I had seen happening. I wanted to tell him before I next went to the specialist. Then in August she went for a further scan at the RDNE, and my friend with many years of nursing experience said, these things just do not go away. After having the scan, the consultant showed us the original X-ray where the growth could be plainly seen. Then the X-ray just taken. I said to my friend, I can't see anything there, can you? She replied, no, I can't see anything. Then the consultant said, it doesn't appear there is anything there. <laughs> I asked the consultant, are you saying I'm clear? He said, I can't give my personal opinion. I must speak to the radiologist. A further X-ray was, was arranged for November. We emerged grinning like Cheshire cats. Finally in November, I went to see the consultant again. He came out with a great big grin on his face. You are totally clear. There is nothing on your scan. It is so nice to give somebody some good news. I said, I've been prayed for. He just smiled. So that was really good. But <clears throat> still some time ago. However, I got a quote from The Economist talking about China in 2014. And I must say they were more optimistic than uh, Open Doors, which we heard about last week. And one of the things they said in the 1980s, the faith grew most quickly in the countryside, stimulated by the collapse of local health care and a belief that Christianity could heal instead. And last week when Viv was talking, the persecuted church open doors, they have a, a prayer diary. And last Sunday was to pray for India. And what it said, among other things, was praise God that many are coming to faith through miraculous healings. That's today in India. So these aren't just Bible stories. Things really happen. Have the next slide, please. Don't know if you can see this. It's a picture of a rather well-heeled gentleman, and um, 
he seems to have acquired a cat. And beside the cat, there is a box, obviously a dirt box to do his business in. And the gentleman is saying to the cat, never, ever think outside the box. So what's the implication of that? I, I checked with Pete and Alley, who have a dog called Winston. And I said, what does Winston do? Oh, he always does it outside all over the place. We never get any trouble in here. So I'm thinking, well, what's the cat thinking when he said never, never, ever think outside the box? I think the cat's thinking, oh, I always think outside the box. And I took it as a, a perverse way of saying to us, think outside the box. And what Jesus said about the centurion was well and truly outside the box. He said, I've not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. And about the Canaanite woman, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. These were way outside the box. And when you think about how Jesus met the, the Samaritan woman at the well, first of all, she was a Samaritan. Secondly, she was a woman and she was on her own. Thirdly, she had had five husbands. And by the way, she wasn't with her husband then. She was well and truly outside the box. But Jesus had a conversation with her. He initiated it. He said to her, then if you follow the conversation, it went, um, you know, they would expect the Messiah. And Jesus declared to her, I'm the one, I'm he who's speaking to you. He was way outside the box. And uh, we can have our next slide. This is um, a picture of a courtyard in Istanbul. I visited... Um, Istanbul a few years ago when our eldest son and his wife were working there and um, she was a nurse and they the refugees migrants and so on used to come to this place and uh, they were given a number as they came in and then uh, eventually their number would be called out and just to the left of the picture is a bit hidden in this picture there's a little table and they were interviewed. And uh, first of all, um, you had to find out what, what language they spoke and get the appropriate interpreter. And then they would ask them what their needs were. It was really moving stuff. However, in January, this is what happened. This is just January just passed. Hajira sat across me in the office wearing a face mask, but her eyes fully revealing the depth of her struggles. The weight of her story was heavy on my heart. What do we have to offer to women who experience domestic violence? They are made in the image of God and rarely in their lives are they told of their value. Speaking to Hadra, of her beauty in God's sight, brought tears to the eyes of our Afghan translator. He turned to me and said, these women need this program. 
they need to be heard and valued. Speaking of God as creator, witness and judge is one of the opportunities we have as these women share their hard stories. We know that God sees. It will not go unanswered. He values each one made in his image. It is not the only thing we share, but perhaps the most significant. Way, way outside the box. <clears throat> okay, but get rid of that slide. At the wedding banquet, you remember Matthew 22, the king spoke to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those are invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you can find. And that's what he did. Matthew 25. The king said to those on his right, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was ill and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we do these things? The king will reply, truly, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. I don't know if you listened to um, President Biden's inauguration, but one of the things he said <clears throat> is quoting his mother. He said, if we are willing to stand in the other person's shoes, as my mum would say, just for a moment, stand in their shoes. And God operates in such an upside-down way. Many of you know he went into prison for years. And uh, on one occasion, uh, we used to meet in the afternoon, there'd be some sort of <coughs> Bible Christian presentation. And then we would sit around in groups talking. And uh, one would always try and engage with the guys, <laughs> what do you want to talk about, what's on your mind, and we'd all have Bibles, the same one, and you could always say, well, let's see what the Bible says, turn to page 874, whatever it is. However, <clears throat> what happened from time to time was um, theology students came in from Exeter University. They were studying theology, and often they had a criminology unit. So they would come in. And one day this girl came in and um, she was welcomed, of course, and then she joined our discussion group. And it became pretty clear she wasn't a Christian. So after the discussion, I said to Mark, one of the, um, one of the prisoners, convicted criminal, who had become a Christian, he was really keen. I said, Mark, um, do you think you could talk to this girl? She's not a Christian. So he stood there having a long talk with her. 
And I imagine he spoke about his faith and where he'd come from. And it really, I just absolutely loved it. God is such an upside down God. He's a convicted criminal talking to a theology student. Just amazing. And that is what happens. Right, changing the subject. <coughs> when God is silent, we've talked about um, great answers to faith and still as things are happening and upside down and all sorts of places. But what about when God is silent? We have been looking at the book of Lamentations in Exminster and uh, it was written by a contemporary of Jeremiah and it's composed of five poems. They're really songs and four of them are funeral songs. They're dirges or laments. The fifth is more of a prayer. But the whole tone of it is just lament, lament, lament. In chapter three, you do find the word hope. And there are a few verses which talk about hope. But for the most part, it's just a complete lament. Why is that? Well, it's the history. Remember the unfulfilled promise to Abraham through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. But the fact was that after Solomon, who didn't do very well, Israel split. Ten tribes went off to the north and two, Judah and Benjamin, to the south. The ten tribes who went north, they were unremittingly bad, wicked. And in the end, the Assyrians carried them off. That was the end of them. They were deported. They intermarried. And that's where the Samaritans came from. But they never re-emerged in any Jewish way. And the southern tribes under Judah were called Judah, Judah and Benjamin. They had some good kings, Hezekiah among them. But in the end, they also fell into idolatry and did not follow God. And the Babylonians conquered them. Jerusalem was destroyed. They were taken into captivity with only a remnant remaining. Why? Well, it can be summed up really. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. That's what it says, the final verse in Judges. In the message it says, People did whatever they felt like doing and ignored God. So that the lament was in that background and it was just unremitting. Ryan's picture here really fits the text. My groans are many and my heart is faint. You, Lord, reign forever from the last few verses of the whole book. Your throne endures from generation to generation. Why do you always forget us? Why do you forsake us so long? Restore us to yourself, Lord, 
that we may return, renew our days as of old, unless you have utterly rejected us and are angry with us beyond measure. Thank you. It does not end on a note of hope. It's all about suffering, but not suffering in silence. It's not denying our emotions. It's venting their feelings. It's pouring it all out before God. No holds barred. Shout, sing, speak in tongues. Just get before God. There's no neat conclusion. Lament, prayer, grief are a crucial part of the journey of God's people in a broken world. So it's, it's giving us a permission to just pour it all out before God. Some people weep and cry easily some less so but personally i've i've given myself permission to weep and cry before god and i have and it's okay this is to do with president biden's inauguration i don't know if you watched it but one of the uh, highlights was a contribution from amanda gorman She's America's Youth Poet Laureate, and she was speaking at the inauguration. And she says she is a skinny black girl coming before the president. And as she stands there, she's waving her hands around like a windmill. And she's reciting this poem. And she was asked to write this poem on the night the capital was stormed and it was just horrendous and this is her poem the hill we climb it's called when day comes we ask ourselves where can we find light in this never-ending shade the loss we carry a sea we must wave we've braved the belly of the beast We've learned that quiet isn't always peace and the norms and notions of what just is, isn't always justice. We lay down our arms so we can reach out our arms to one another. We seek harm to none and harmony for all. Let the globe, if nothing else, say this is true that even as we grieved, we grew, that even as we hurt, we hoped, that even as we tired, we tried. Later in her poem, she does refer to scripture. But I just think <coughs> those words are so appropriate to where we are. We are grieving and lamenting that even as we grieved, we grew, that even as we hurt, we hoped, that even as we tired, we tried. Thank you. Sheila was, bought a book called 
Pete Gregg, God on mute. Engaging the silence of unanswered prayer. And in the front, there's a picture of some graffiti, which we could look at. This graffiti <coughs> was found in the basement of a building in Cologne in 1945, where it's thought that a Jewish Christian was sheltering from the Gestapo. And what it says is, I believe in the sun, even when it isn't shining. I believe in love, even when I'm alone. I believe in God, even when he is silent. Very moving. And in going back to the book, <coughs> Pete Gregg had two sons, and um, when they were babies, his wife, Sammy, became very ill. And that illness has not gone away, even though the, the, the prayer movement has spread across half the nations in the world. But his wife, Sammy, still lives with chronic illness. She's, she's way better than the doctors ever thought possible, but some things haven't changed at all. Sammy is still feeling exhausted, still going for regular checkups that sometimes trigger the same old trauma, still starting and ending each day with a fistful of multicolored drugs. We still don't know why she hasn't been fully healed when so many people have prayed so faithfully. The intervening years have brought no biblical epiphany, no supernatural prophecy, no medical discovery to answer the questions we were asking when I first wrote this book. If anything, our questions have proliferated. And yet we know now in a way that we didn't or couldn't back then, that we may never know. We understand <clears throat> that we may never understand. We're a lot more okay with not being okay. Is this a sign of weary resignation or are we learning to trust? I suspect it's a bit of both. We have the next slide. It's called Engaging with the Silence. First, there is prayer. And where there is prayer, there may be miracles. But where miracles may not be, there are questions. And where there are questions, there may be silence. But silence may be more than absence. Silence may be the presence, muted. Silence may not be nothing, but something to explore, defy, accuse, engage. And this is prayer. And where there is prayer, there may yet be miracles. Okay. So that leaves us where then 
is hope. Remember, of course, <laughs> when Jesus was being crucified, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There was silence from God. But hope comes from the resurrection. That is the source of our hope. And I've chosen particularly to focus on Mary Magdalene. Her real name, a Jewish name, was Miriam, like Moses' sister. She was Miriam of Magdala. She was unmarried. But by the time it got from Hebrew to Greek to Latin to English, it was Mary, Mary Magdalene. She was one of the women who accompanied Jesus and his disciples and provided for them out of their own resources. She had been delivered of seven demons. Seven, incidentally, speaking of completeness. So she had had radical healing. She's the only woman mentioned in every gospel as being present when Jesus was crucified. She was present when they laid Jesus in the tomb on Friday before sunset. She was first at the tomb on Sunday morning. She found it empty and went to tell the disciples. After two of the disciples came and ran back home, she lingered in the garden, weeping. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. I just found this encounter really was the first encounter <clears throat> between a human being and the risen Christ. And that happened when he said to her, Mary, and she responded. And that is our hope. Our hope is in the resurrection, that Jesus is alive. In Revelation, it talks about is the firstborn from the dead. And in speaking and revealing himself in a glorious way to John, he said, I am the living one. I was dead. And now look, I am alive forever and ever. And that is our hope. In Titus it says, for the grace of God has appeared, offers salvation to all people, while we wait for the blessed hope, 
the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. Mm -hmm.